Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Last year, Waipara farmer Ian Knowles was crowned the Canterbury Regional Supreme Winner at the Balance Farm Environment Awards. He also won a stack of other gongs at the awards for soil management, livestock agri-science, farming efficiency and climate recognition. Not bad for someone who came into farming later than most. When Cosmo Kentish Barnes turned up at his Glenmark Springs property, Ian was getting his dogs out of their kennels. <coughs> What are your dogs called? Uh, it's Abby and Ritz. Abby, Abby. Abby's the only away I've got, so she's sort of the noise machine. And Ritz is my oldest heading dog. She's pretty clever. She does most of the cleaning up jobs. And she's mother or grandmother to most of the one, other ones I've got. How important are they in terms of helping out on the farm? Ah, oh, the vital. That's number one part of the team, really, is I really enjoy the stock work, and that's the bulk of sort of what I do most most of the day so yes. yeah without them I'd be chasing sheep myself so <laughs> so where are we heading to now so we just head up the farm uh, we had a wee bit of rain this morning so we'll just go and check that everything's still where it should be hopefully the crops are picking up a bit of this rain and we'll keep growing through the summer how much rain did you get I've got about six mils it's just enough to dampen the dust down it, it certainly won't be enough to get the grass growing back to a green state but it'll help the crops and the newly sown pastures just keep alive and get through the summer in a good state Tell me about the farm here. How long has your um, family owned it? So my mum and dad moved up here in the early 2000s, so we've been here just over 20 years. And in the meantime, we amalgamated two properties, so purchased the neighbouring property and added it onto the original home block. So that takes a wee bit of time to get the two logistics joined up in terms of access and tracks and water and electric fences. So there's a wee bit of development was required in the early stages and then hopefully now we can sort of consolidate now that we've got a bigger property and hopefully start making some money. And it's a beautiful farm here, how would you describe it? It's a nice part of the world, it's sort of rolling hill country, there's quite a bit of cultivatable areas, about 300 hectares, but the bulk of it's medium to steep hill country so it gives a nice balance and a nice sort of, I guess you'd call it work lifestyle balance within the business because every time you drive around a corner you get a slightly different view and as you get to the top of the hill you can see up to the Kaikoura Mountains and out to the Alps over to Hamner and Culverton and then back to Christchurch. It's quite nice sitting up there and seeing all the lights of Christchurch in the evening time so we get a 360 view if you get in the right place. Now we are winding our way up towards the top of the hill and already we've got uh, an amazing vista. Are those poplar poles that I can see? Yeah, so the last couple of years we've had a lot of support from ECAN and their SCAR team, which is the soil conservation team. 
Um, we've had some really dry seasons and some very wet seasons and because of that a lot of the at-risk areas of the farm that have got maybe soils that aren't that well formed or don't have a lot of vegetation have sort of slipped or created a bit of tunnel erosion and so put in about 35 hectares of poplar poles to try to help stabilise a lot of the steeper hill country areas where I'm probably never going to put a tractor or grow a crop so it's not having a major impact on the production of the farm yeah. but at the same time environmentally it's ticking a few boxes and hopefully heading us in the right direction in terms of securing the soil and protecting the waterways. We can see some dense pockets of native bush. Yeah so we climb a lot of elevation in quite a short time which means we get lots of little pockets of native gullies and guts that have never been really developed so they're just in their natural state. We've got a QE2 covenant out the back of the farm and an archaeological site as well from Naitahu um, protected area. So is that an iwi covenant? Yeah it's, so it's an archaeological site so there's some uh, rock drawings in there that you just like to maintain and protect them in the state that they're in. Now we've come to one of the high points on the farm. Ian, describe what we can see around us. We're sort of in a bit of a microclimate here, so we're surrounded by reasonably big rocky hills and gullies, but they all run east-west, which means that in here the predominant northwest and southwest winds tend to go clean over top. So they're quite sheltered gullies here, really good soils down on the base of the gully because most of it's um, over time with wind and rain has washed off the rocky outcrops. So quite deep soils, I do quite a bit of cropping out here, it's really warm country in the winter for the stock and because of the good soil types and that sort of microclimate we can grow really good crops and I've actually got a fruit orchard just around the corner too because it just suits it so well. Mm, mm. We can see a mob of sheep grazing on one of the hills. Um, what are they feeding on? Yes, yeah, so I previous life I worked for Ag Research. We used to study a lot of plant and animal genetics, so I'm still really quite passionate about that. So mm. the two crops in front of us is fodder beet, which is the key for my, the wintering of all the stock. And what they're grazing now is called rafno, which is a cross between a radish and a kale, and it grows like a weed. It's, it's excellent. Um, wee bit expensive to grow because it's new and novel, but the stock really like it. So at the moment, the hoggets in their lambs, so the ewes that are only a year old themselves, and have uh, got their own lambs running around behind them, uh, mm. they're on that just to make sure they're all growing. And then hopefully if we'll get a shower of rain in the autumn time, it'll grow away again, and I'll be able to push that feed into the winter and make sure the young stock are fully catered for for the year ahead. Mm. Now, you mentioned that... You used to work for Ag Research. What sort of area did you focus on? Yes, yeah, so I was a latecomer to farming practically, but I used to work in the agriculture industry, the Telford College or Ag Research or Beef and Lamb. So I had quite an exciting job off farm, but always wanted to go farming. But the real passionate part was when I was working with the Ag Systems team and Ag Research. They try to pick up all the new technologies and, and new ways of doing things mm. and actually see how that's going to work and practice on farm. So we had a lot of monitor farms and worked with a lot of high-level farmers that were really keen to try new technologies and they were almost the guinea pigs. So I was very lucky to be able to rub shoulders with some very clever farmers and steal a few ideas from them along my career at Ag Research and then hopefully try to put some of them into practice now. Do you do lots of on-farm trials here? Yeah, I'm a wee bit addicted to trial work. I didn't leave that hat behind when I finished at Ag Research. Uh, so most of the 
sheep genetics, for example, based out of uh, trial mobs that I've had here and find out what works and what doesn't and then multiply them up. Mm. And also with the plant genetics, if there's anything new and novel, I'm pretty keen to get a couple of hectares in to see what it looks like on farm. Um, try to sort of lead from the front and make my own mistakes. And you've got no one else to blame then. <laughs> what type of traits are you looking for in, you know, in, in sheep? Yeah, well, sheep are the real key to the business. They're about 80% of the income and they're about 80% of the uh, workload too. So what I'm hoping to do is try to keep that profitability up while reducing the amount of work. Just as I get more lazy and older, I try to <laughs> work smarter and not harder. Uh, so at the moment, I'm chasing just sort of outright growth rate because wool hasn't been very profitable for many years and it's about time I let that just disappear out of the business, I think. So trying to get a more meaty sheep, Mm. Um, shorter tails I don't believe that we're really going to be able to justify cutting tails off in the future and I'd like to have genetics that are already at the stage where they don't get fly strike or dags and a nice mm. short little natural looking tail that doesn't need to be changed so that's the sort of direction I'm heading in at the moment mm. and you also do dairy support yeah about 20 to 30 percent of the business is looking after cows for the dairy farmer so when they don't get in calf they come up here for basically a sabbatical mm. so they leave the milking shed after one lactation if they haven't got in calf they come up here for the year uh, the bulls come up get them back in calf in the following season those cows go back down to the dairy farm so they're mm. up here for a full year um, they're a great tool in terms of um, cleaning up any surplus poor quality pasture because they're already fully growing I don't need to worry too much about giving them heaps of quality feed because they're already a mature animal they just need to be on maintenance so they add a really important dimension to the business. What is your biggest expenditure here? Uh, the biggest expenditure would be growing feed and that's either through fertiliser or the regrass and cropping program that's mm. probably about half of the money is spent in the business. Have you done any trials with non-chemical fertilisers? Yes I have yep for about four or five years ran a fertiliser trial on two different sites on the property with all the conventional fertilisers, everything you could possibly find in a fertiliser company and also comparing that with a few sort of more natural type products like your seaweed based fertilisers. Mm. Yeah. What were your findings? How did they compare? Yeah, it, it gets really complicated because the obviously the solid chemical based fertilisers are all funded around science trial so you, you put on x amount of kilograms and you know within a pretty tight range what sort of outcome you're going to get and I found that really consistent every time I put it on tested the soil afterwards or measured the grass production it was almost you know spot on really mm. then when you get into the less researched ones the more natural type products all over the place you're seeing some results you weren't expecting and then often you weren't getting the results that you were hoping for Sometimes it would take maybe 18 months or two years to see a result and it was hard to know whether it was as a result of that special unknown mix that you put on or whether it was yeah. just some yeah. random act. So because it sort of lacks that scientific rigour, I've been pretty hesitant to spend much money on those natural type products just because it's so unreliable and when you've got a reasonable amount of debt and a lot of animals to feed, you do need a bit of consistency of outcome. What are your thoughts on regenerative farming practices? Yeah, so I've played around with a few regenerative mixes. Um, there's some really interesting things happening in there. I think particularly around the pest control part of it is where I get excited, is if we can maybe stop spraying for 
problem pests because there's wasps or butterflies that are coming into those crops which are chasing the nasty bugs away and helping the um, nicer bugs multiply up. That To me that seems like a really good outcome. Mm. The more species you put into a mix, the the harder it is to try to manage it. And so we're finding that most of those regen mixes are reverting back to what I'd normally put in anyway, which is your, your clovers and your chicories and plantains. That's about all that seems to be left after a couple of years. So they're expensive. They look really good for a couple of years, but I think we can probably simplify those mixes. In terms of profitability, how much money are you hoping to make this year from your farming operation? Yeah, so the ballpark budget for the long term is around about a million dollars gross income with about 50% working expenditure and then you take out of that your um, you know, your interest to the bank and bank payments and living costs and all of that. So at the moment the meat market sort of tanked a wee bit so the lamb prices are well back on where mm. they've been the last couple of years so that all the costs are the same if not higher and yet the income's going to probably only be about 60 to 70 percent so the next couple of years is going to be tightening the belt um, there's not going to be much coming at the bottom and so just trying to consolidate and maybe cut a few corners in terms of costs just to get us through the next couple of years. Mm. Now you mentioned that you've planted an orchard here can we go and have a look at that? Yeah we sure can yep. What's your um, stocking ratio here? Yes, yeah, so run about 10 stock units on average per hectare. Obviously quite different up on the native hill. Doesn't grow a lot of feed and then these better quality paddocks is where the real engine room is in terms of growing young stock and, and finishing lambs. So typically you have about 4,000 breeding ewes and about 1,000 mated hoggets. So they get in lamb hopefully in their first year of life and then I run between two and three hundred cows. Now normally people have their orchards near their house, but this orchard here is plonked in the middle of the farm. Yeah, it's because the yards are here and I spend a lot of time out here doing stock work, it sort of made sense to have the fruit trees here and we have got fruit orchards and gardens and things closer to the house but it's sort of nice to have something up the back of the farm it's a good excuse to come out here and often you get a bit hungry and think oh you know an apple or something would just get me through to lunchtime <laughs> and so it's such a lovely little outlook here so protected and, and good water supply I thought oh it's a great place to have a wee orchard so there's all sorts of stuff here we start off just with one of everything and then the ones that worked out well have sort of multiplied up so we've got apricots and apples and limes and pears, plums, currants, fajoas, uh, nashi pears, so there's heaps of stuff there and then the ones that work well, so the fajoas are great, they've got such a long season and they keep so well, so mm. there's about four or five months of the year I can come out and have a fajoa for morning tea. Yeah, yeah. And Ian, tell me a bit more about the Māori rock drawings here on the farm. Yeah, so there's 26 uh, individual drawings that have been um, noted and reported on. There may be more, but some of the areas are not that easy to get to. So several decades ago, the Canterbury Archaeological Research Team came and did a survey of the area. So there's a few neighbouring properties as well as our property that has some archaeological significant sites which have got a covenant on them just to protect them to yeah. make sure they stay the way they are. So that's around um, excluding cattle from grazing because they tend to rub and bunt on things and they're 
big bullies and they might knock the uh, rocks around and also not to plant it in forestry or put buildings on it so as we can try to maintain them as best we can. Now as well as sheep and cows you also have a collection of rare animals and birds here don't you? Yeah I'm very lucky that the farm's big enough that I can run a commercial unit and also there's enough little nooks and crannies where I can have peacocks and alpacas and ostriches and the farm already had some deer fencing on it which meant that I can contain a lot of animals that you probably wouldn't be able to have on a normal sheep farm and hopefully they stay where they are supposed to be behind the deer fence. I can see a peacock there running along the track. My gosh, these ostriches are, what, two metres tall? Yeah, plus a bit. And when they get angry, they seem to grow another foot taller as well. They're, um, yeah, the males are pretty imposing, but the hens are actually really kind and gentle. How many ostriches have you got at the moment? So there's about 10 adult breeding birds and there's 15 of last year's chicks and then a good friend of mine, Adam, down in Wiper, has the incubators and brooders so he's got about 30 little tiny chicks down there for this breeding season. Which ones are the males? So the males are uh, black feathers with the pink beak and pink legs and then the females are just of a plain brown colour. So the females are that colour because they sit on the eggs during the daytime so they need to be camouflaged in the in the dirt in the desert and the males sit on the eggs at night time so they need to be black so as you can't see them at night time in the dark. Mm. So how many um, eggs is this girl here sitting on? So they tend to, uh, they lay every second day over a couple of months so each female tends to lay sort of between 30 and 50 eggs in a season. Gosh a lot. Yeah we've been collecting them up and putting them in an incubator to artificially raise the chicks this year, it's just a safer way of doing it because mm. they tend to just find a bit of bare dirt and have a bit of a scratch and start laying eggs but um, on the hill country the eggs tend to roll around a wee bit and now that we've got enough eggs in the incubator we'll probably just see if they'll hatch them out naturally themselves so there's quite a few eggs in the nests on the paddocks at the moment. Mm. So if I walked into that paddock now would the male attack me? Would he be quite protective of his mate? Yeah so you definitely need a big stick if you're going in there with him but normally I just work them with the dogs and they're pretty good but as I said the males when they get aggressive this during the breeding season you just sort of best to give them a wide berth. What are these ostriches called? Uh, so when I only had a few ostriches, I used to give them pet names, but these are all just random ostriches. They've actually got tags and numbers, but um, there's two breeding groups, and then last year's chicks, which are as big as mum and dad already, down on a what was a regen paddock, so they've been pecking away at leafy turnips and sunflowers and clovers and all sorts of things, so they've been growing pretty well out there. Oh, I can see them down at the bottom of that paddock, mingling with the sheep. Yeah, everything just has to get along here. Um, the ostriches are the boss of everybody, but yeah, there's deer and goats and peacocks and alpacas and llamas and all just sprinkled out amongst the commercial sheep and beef farms, so you, you never quite know what you're going to see when you drive in a paddock. Now you can eat ostrich. Uh, what's the best meat on them? The, the only meat they have to speak of really is on, on the legs. They're just two giant drumsticks running around with a, um, with a furry coat, so there's no breast meat. One of those thighs could feed a family. They are huge. Yes, there's about a 30 kilograms of meat on each bird as they're running around. So 
the the meat itself tastes pretty good. It's similar. I think it's a cross between sort of a venison and duck, and the eggs go really good if you want to make an omelette. But you just need to make sure you've got plenty of people because it's the equivalent of two dozen chook eggs. So uh, it's it's a very big omelette. I've got some nice pictures of some of the ostriches, and if you'd like to see them, go to the Country Life webpage. One day, do you think you might have a commercial herd here? Is that something you would be prepared to do if it was worth it? Yeah, so they go pretty good. It's quite similar to the deer industry in terms of being able to multiply them up and grow them out, like the the growth rates and the, and the weights and the end products are very similar, I think, to venison. Mm. So it certainly can be done, but it's the old chicken and egg thing. Like You need sufficient numbers to be able to market the product, but if you don't have a market for the product, then there's no point in really multiplying them up. So at the moment, we're a wee bit in, in limbo as to whether we go bigger or just reduce it back to having a few pet ones running around. Mm. Well, they are pretty happy here. They've got uh, lots of paddocks to roam around in, and they're looking very healthy too. Yeah, the Whitebrook climate really suits them. It's typically pretty dry underfoot, nice warm days, so they can handle as much heat as you throw at them. They're used to being in the desert, so the only challenge we have is for the young birds, keeping them warm and dry when they're little until they're big enough to look after themselves, and, and after that they're pretty much bulletproof, really. Ian Knowles with some ostriches on his hill country farm in North Canterbury. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.